What are we going to do first? So uh, first we will do uh, a uh, article, one of the articles. Uh, either hey. you do an article first or I do an article first. First we'll chat a little bit. Hey. And then we'll do some uh, hot uh, news. And yep. uh, and I made a little uh, jingle for that. So we can put it in between. Saying Sorry Media presents the Per Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary professional healthcare team. If you are dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and author of multiple textbooks, and Dr. Yola Kerpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hello, this is Dr. Yola Kerpenstein. And, and this is Dr. Susan Little. Hey, Susan, how are you doing? Well, I'm good. I, I'm actually on vacation, so, you know, you're really lucky to be talking to me. <laughs> I just want to say, you're on vacation where? I, I'm on vacation in gorgeous Nova Scotia, Canada. You've been here. You know how beautiful it is. It is beautiful. I love it there. And not only because they have great oysters. <laughs> great seafood in general. I know, I know. We had a lot of seafood when we were there. Um, yeah. And I love that there's beautiful, beautiful scenery. So the weather is good. It's not raining and that sort of thing. Oh, it's gorgeous because this podcast will get aired a little bit later, obviously, than when we're mm-hmm. recording it. But we're recording it in August and the weather is just Gorgeous. So I'm very happy. So the best time to go to Nova Scotia is August. July and August, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't go there in January, that's all I can say. <laughs> or December. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So this podcast is really exciting. So the first news is that the downloads are going crazy. So we had so many downloads of the first of four uh, three podcasts that we did. The fourth is coming out this week. Uh, four, no, sorry, four podcasts. So, mm. uh, the yep. last one, Sarah did really, really well. So happy that she, she, uh, joined us. And then she, when we aired this one, probably Sarah has done the number five too. So then we have had five podcasts. And this is number six. Yeah. And I am so excited that this is number six because we're going to do something different. We are. Uh, we're really feeling the love, though. It's so cool that everybody is downloading and listening to our podcast, and we'll continue to get some cool guests on with us. We've got some plans that's uh, coming up to get some more cool people talking to us. But you know, we're just we're gonna ha- we're gonna be two people, cool people talking to each other today. 
I know, I know, and it's and it's, <laughs> it's so funny. So what we're going to do uh, today is that we're going to, as a matter of fact, we asked each other to look at uh, some articles uh, about cats that we thought were really interesting, and we're going to discuss them. Um, and so we have some really cool discussions going on. Uh, so about the context, uh, context or content of these articles. And I'm in Kansas. It is gorgeous here. It's a little hot, but uh, for the rest yeah. of the things, things are well. It's beautiful, sunny, and I'm very excited. So I should be outside, but I'm on the phone with you right now uh, talking That's about cats, which is even better. Well, it's at least the next best thing. And you should feel very lucky because I picked the uh, study that we're going to talk about today. And you should feel lucky because I picked a surgical topic. And I almost fell off my chair when I read that. I was like, what? So now at last she has a chance to speak uh, internal medicine all the time. And what does she do? She picks out a surgery article. So that is quite interesting. So before we start, I just have to say I'm listening to a new uh, podcast, and uh, this is just for general information, and it's called uh, Two Dope Queens. I don't know if you ever heard them, but they're fantastic. It's really funny. No! But uh, <laughs> when I listened to them, I, I had to think about us, too, you know, the two dope cats talking about cats. Ah. So, that's my inspiration, but uh, cool. and and they're and they're really funny, and I think you are really funny too. So <laughs> let's do it. I think we're very, we're pretty funny together. I know, I know. So so uh, two uh, important messages. One is if you like our podcast, please uh, rate them uh, five stars uh, in anywhere where you download them. And uh, mm-hmm. if you want to give a review, that is wonderful. If you want to share the podcast, that is even better. And we're very excited to do this. So, um, so we are going to discuss two articles, and the first article is yours, I guess. So, uh, yeah, talk to yeah, me. What is this about? Surgery. Yay! It's, it's, it's surgery. But it, so the reason I picked this is because it, although it is a surgical topic, it is a topic that you you never hear anybody talk about in cats. So that's why I picked it. And so mm. I picked an article that has uh, come out this year, 2018, in the yeah. Journal of Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care, and it's called Spontaneous Gastric Dilatation Volvulus in Two Cats. Oh, so wow. GDB in cats. GDB in cats. And it mm-hmm. comes from uh, Angel Animal Medical Center in Boston from the Emergency and Critical Care Department there. So oh, I picked it because... Yeah, because whoever talks about GDB in cats, there's lots known about GDB in dogs. And even though this is an article only about two cats, the authors point out that there is hardly anything in the literature on GDB in cats, uh, especially compared to what is in the literature on dogs. And so even though they only have two cases to report, um, they felt, I think there's only like only eight other cases in the literature. So adding two cases, you know, that's a good percentage. So they felt it was important to add these two cases. Yeah, and you know what the best news is? What? It's about surgery. So it's about surgery. Perfect. And I'm so happy that our first article is about surgery. 
Uh, and, and so do you read the journals in their emergent critical care often, Susan? I do, actually. I like mm. that journal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, me I too. Do. Me too, yeah. because it's a I nice like cross journal. between internal medicine and, and surgery. And, exactly. Uh, and so it's really cool. I think this is a very good topic. So let's start. So mm. what is it about? And so the idea here is mm. that when you do an article, you just explain what it's about, and I'll ask poignant questions and vice versa. So, um, okay, cool, perfect. This um, is about two cases of GVD in cats, and the other reason I picked it is not just because there isn't any GVD cases, hardly any in the literature on cats. It's because they, even though they only talked about two cases, they pointed out some really important differences between cats and dogs with GVDs. Now, I'm guessing that in your career, Yola, you've treated a lot of dogs with GVDs. I did hundreds and hundreds mm. of them. But I did yeah. see a GVD in a cat, too. Yes, I had one. Oh. So I'm very excited. Yeah. Okay. So I can talk to you about okay. it. Oh, good. So, But they, they pointed out some interesting differences between cats and dogs when it comes to comes to GDBs, mm-hmm. and um, a couple of interesting differences. And one of the interesting um, differences between cats and dogs was the presenting clinical signs. So uh, now, way back, many, many moons ago, right after I graduated, I did practice what I call um, mixed animal medicine. So no I way. No way. Yeah, no way. Dog- stop, 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 stop. Let's stop the tape <laughs> right here. You did what? So I call it mixed animal medicine. It was dog and cat practice. Oh, me, that's animal I medicine. thought you did yeah, cows. Yeah. Cows and goats and horses and that sort of thing. Oh, no. no. Dogs and cats. Okay. Yeah. Stop, so, stop. Not, so not even two years. So, like, let, let's say about two years. And so I certainly saw um, enough GEDs with mm-hmm. uh, with dogs in uh, in that period of time. And they always present, well, not always, but they often present with gastrointestinal signs, right? Yeah, always. Almost always. I yeah, mean, always. you know, yeah. the, the, the retching without content is the number one sign that we see. If, if someone says to me and I'm on the phone and says, hey, my dog is uh, trying to vomit and nothing comes out, you know, I know what's wrong. Uh, there's only one yeah. thing that can do that. And, and so we rush them in and do surgery. Mm. So what was really interesting to me about these cats and um, the other cats in the literature, there's only eight other cats, so now there's like a total of ten cats in the literature, is that um, one of the interesting thing, things is that cats tend to present with respiratory signs, with respiratory distress. So we can add this to that long list of things that causes respiratory distress in cats. And so that's yeah. quite different. And there's lots of things that can cause that, so that doesn't make it easy. But there is a combination with another sign that is really important in these cats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a, a, a number of things that was important. And um, in the eight cases in the literature, five of the eight cases in the literature were all associated with trauma. And And I'm guessing that when you look at dogs with GDBs, they're typically not associated with trauma, are they? Correct. No, they're not. Yeah. Yeah. So these cats, um, uh, uh, not, the, not the two in this case report, but the, of the eight 
in the literature before this, five of the eight in the literature are associated with trauma. So, you know, now we've got 10 cases in the literature and half of them are trauma associated. And the trauma caused a diaphragmatic hernia. So in cats, um, uh, we really have to be uh, aware of a possibility or ask about a history of trauma and the possibility of a diaphragmatic hernia. So that's another difference. Another difference was these cats seemed to go longer before they came into the, the veterinary clinic uh, uh, after. So they had the clinical signs for at least 24 hours before presentation. And that's also seen in the other cats in, in the literature. A number of those cats also had quite protracted clinical signs before they came into the veterinary clinic, whereas and, – and their survival was still good, right? But with dogs, yeah. my understanding is the shorter um, your uh, clinical signs when you are presented, the better your outcome. So the longer you go before you get presented to the veterinary clinic – it, it decreases the chances that you're that you're you're uh, going to survive the event, but it doesn't that relationship doesn't seem to happen in cats. So I really I'm I know you're supposed to be asking the questions, but I'm curious why do you think that is? Why do you think these cats were able to have clinical signs for so long and yet still have good outcomes? Where in dogs, people talk like about a six-hour window. You know, yeah. big difference. Yeah. I think that is the answer. So, so we know in dogs that, you know, most of them, the torsions in the dogs are pretty severe. So they rotate around 270 degrees. Um, and what I saw in these cats is that most of the time it's a rotation of like 90 degrees to 180 degrees. Mm-hmm. So there might be not a complete obstruction. And these dogs, these, these dogs often pant. And so they aspirate a lot of air. And then the stomach, you know, increases, increases, increases. Uh, uh, so that's why it's so important to be early because we know that there is a significant correlation with the health of the stomach wall and the survival of the dog. So the longer you wait, the more chance you have of necrosis of the stomach wall. And none of these articles in the cats talk about it. So either the cat's stomach is a little mm. bit more flexible or it doesn't mm. rotate as much, so the vascularity is not much so much as involved. So I think those are the reasons that cats have a little bit longer. So yeah, so it's, it's, even now it's a little... Because huh. I forgot the ones of the diaphragmatic hernia. So in cats, yeah. there is very few reasons to cut a diaphragmatic hernia immediately, except when the cat is super mm. And the interesting right. thing is that super cats with diaphragmatic hernia often have a translocation of the stomach into the chest. And that is right. absolutely an emergency. So, yes, those stomachs are are, are torsed often. Uh, and so I didn't even think about those. You know, normally I see yeah. that a different part. It's, you know, it's just a, a stomach a rotation into the chest. And I didn't even realize that that was a separate category. So, so that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. So, but I had two of those. So... Now my number is already three. Yay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it is a separate category. Now, it is a little frustrating because these uh, these few reports of DDD and cats in the literature don't tend to remark on the degree of torsion of the stomach. So we don't really know. Uh, yeah. But I think it makes 
sense what you're saying that you know maybe cats don't tours as as much or they uh i don't know they they seem they they maintain some blood better blood supply even as they tours who knows so it's it's a little it's a little hard to say um if, yeah and uh, if, if, if i look at the radiographs of the article it's, it's yeah it looks like they're not tours as much i mean it's more rotated <coughs> than a full function yeah. but uh I, I don't that know, was one of the things they pointed out, though. They pointed out that on the radiographs, you'll see that big distended stomach, but you may actually not see evidence of volvulus on the radiograph in the cat. You won't see it until you go in surgically. So maybe that does uh, provide more evidence for what you're saying, that they may have a lesser degree of volvulus than the dog. Yeah, yeah that could be totally yeah. possible. Although I have to say that I think that the first picture that they showed is a typical again because mm. it has a compartmentalization and mm-hmm. that's very difficult. So, um, yeah. Now, these two cases were that we're talking about that just got published this year, these two cases uh, were not due to trauma or diaphragmatic hernias. Um, nope. These were actually, interestingly enough, I think they were both Persian cats, which is probably, I suspect, just by chance but they were both Persian cats, and one of them had a foreign body discovered at the time of surgery, um, and guess what the foreign body was? Persian cat, what do you think the foreign body was? It was a hairball. It was, <laughs> it was a giant hairball, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that reminds me of our talk, remember, that you showed this yeah. cat with a big hairball? That's it. I did. I did. I have a bunch of pictures of cats and, and giant hairballs. So you don't usually think of a foreign body as a, a, a cause of, of, a, of GBV. But you know what? I, I'm, here's what I think. Um, yeah. Cats that get these giant hairballs probably have an underlying motility problem anyway. And they said in the article that the, they, they did not do uh, biopsies of the cat with the hairball. So it may have had some underlying small intestinal disease. Um, who knows? Um, uh, so, and the other cat, they also didn't do uh, biopsies on, but they're presuming the cat may have had some underlying, like, inflammatory bowel disease. And that makes sense to me, that there may be an underlying motility problem. So what we call idiopathic, you know, these cases that in cats, GDDs in cats that um, aren't associated with trauma and they're called idiopathic, my first guess is that they may be due to an underlying gastrointestinal disease ca- causing hypomotility. And I so agree with you. And I know that in dogs, as much smaller dogs, uh, we kind of think the same thing. So uh, there is a motility problem. So in the large breed dogs, it is, we always say, you know, the, 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 how the dog is built and and maybe the stability of the stomach or how the stomach hangs in the abdomen. Uh, But with small breed dogs, we always think about underlying disease. And I've seen, as a matter of fact, a couple of foreign bodies causing this in dogs. I'm not surprised that the foreign ah. body would do it. And it, for me, yeah. it's a really strong indication, once again, that if we get these really cool cases, do biopsies. I mean, it's so important yeah. to find out what is wrong with it. And 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 so that that was, you yeah. know, if you have to be critical about the article, uh, that's one thing I, I was a little critical. Disappointed. Disappointed is a better word. A little bit disappointed. Yeah. But you know, you know how it goes, right? You get a case. And um, and you don't really think of that bigger picture, right? And then I don't know, a few years later, you get another case, and all of a sudden you have a case series, 
So it, it, it isn't exactly a planned thing, is it? Right? It's, it's just kind of the way it evolves. And so yeah, when they're, yeah, when they're uncommon things like this, <clears throat> you know, you're not really thinking necessarily of that, of that bigger picture. But in, in the article, they did <clears throat> talk about that possibility of, of hypomotility as an underlying disorder. So, you know, I think one of the, one of the good let, take home lessons from this is that um, cats can get GDVs and that it should be added to that list of potential differential diagnoses when we see cats with respiratory distress um, coming in. So both of these cats came in with, you know, obvious respiratory distress, vocalizing, you know, um, obviously quite um, uh, quite distressed cats. And so uh, we typically think about cardiac disease, we think about respiratory tract disease, because those are the two big buckets, the two most common reasons. You know, about a third of cats that come in with respiratory distress have congestive heart failure, about a third of them have respiratory disease, and then a third have other things. And in that group of other things, I think we have to make sure that we think about GDV in there and be uh, very careful with our history, um, especially knowing that um, trauma uh, potentially causing diaphragmatic hernia and, and a GDV uh, seems to be a thing that cats do. Yeah. And I think that the mm. other important thing is that with the distress, so one second, if we go back to the D word, uh, dogs that are very dyspneic tend to aspirate a lot of air. Um, so yeah. I don't know if that's the same thing in cats. So maybe the it person is. thing and, and them being dyspneic from their own and there's something else that makes it worse might make yeah. them aspirate more air and that air goes to the stomach and then the stomach is tense and maybe forces uh, that could be a reason if, if there's no yeah. underlying disease for that. Uh, the other thing I thought uh, was interesting was the surgical technique that they used. Ah, okay, yeah. Mm. It is a surgery article. We better talk I a little know. bit about that surgical technique. Uh, yeah. I know. So what did, you I, think, what, did, so, what did you find so interesting? Yeah, so they used a belt loop gastropexy. And I know in the U.S. Mm. it's very, very common and and people like that. And the belt loop is you, that you make kind of a a incision um, in the stomach wall. It, it it looks like a little U incision, and then you pull that incision, or you kind of free it up from the. Uh, so it's it's an incision in the in the uh, serosa and the submucosa and the muscle, and then you free that up, and then you pull that through an incision or a little uh, loop that you make in the abdominal wall, and then you suture it back to the stomach. It is a very <laughs> difficult surgery in dogs, and I cannot even imagine oh. how difficult it is in cats. So most of us say, you know, that it doesn't matter how you fix the stomach to the stomach wall, or not to the abdominal wall, as long as you do it. Right. So I would right. never use a belt loop in a cat. I would just do an incisional ah. gastropexy. It's much easier. Okay. And so, and and this is the big lesson that when you read articles, always be critical. So um, yeah, I like this yeah. article. I'm very happy with it. But that's something that immediately jumped out to me. I said, why why would you do a belt loop? You know, I would just do an incisional. Yeah. And then the other important thing is that uh, we normally suture. Um, so the, uh, as a matter of fact, the uh, pylorus uh, to the, uh, and then it's the right side of the abdomen. So that's abdominal wall. So we suture the pylorus. And that's because of the 
that you know that's caused by us. Dogs cause rotation is normally that way. These were both um, uh, clockwise rotations, so that would guesstimate kind of that you should do the same thing in the cat. But they really didn't talk yeah. too much about that. So, no, so once again, I, yeah. I would just use the dogma, which is a, once again a, a, a kind of a lost opportunity um, because this is so uncommon. You really need to not only describe the emergency parts to detail, but you also need to describe the surgery part. So what that yeah. kind of tells me, uh, the surgery was the less interesting part of uh, of the article, which is too bad. So, uh, yeah. so for me, yeah. I would I would never use a belt loop. I would use to just use an incisional gastroplexy. There's no oh, difference okay. really between pencil really strength really and you know surface, you know the the chance that they come off, et cetera, et cetera. So. Yeah, so it's, it, in, in dogs, it's, it doesn't play into whether they get recurrence? No. The type of, the no. type, oh, okay, okay. No. And so the, the one last thing that I wanted to point out, out about this, now I said off the top that it was two Persian cats and maybe that was just by chance, but now that I think about it, Persian cats often have stenotic nares, right? So I wonder if, yeah, some increased airway resistance, and not not that it caused things, but it exacerbated things, right? Because they're brachycephalic. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 also a really good point. So, yeah. yeah so, so really, so really interesting. It is, and I have a couple of other things that uh, that I thought was it were interesting. One is that one cat had breathing problems, but the surgery really mm. didn't help the breathing problems. So that really, yeah. Once it goes back to your theory, it's like maybe it's you know the the there's a combination of aerophagia and yeah. uh, it's it's you know my of oh, my pro- previous professor always is the chicken or the egg was the dilatation <laughs> first or was the rotation first so you know when the stomach yeah. rotates does it dilate because the air cannot go anywhere or is it because the dog or the cat aspirates so much air that it dilates and then it rotates. So uh, we we still don't know if it's a chicken or the egg. Yeah. But, uh, so you definitely picked up the fact that, that they didn't look at uh, the GI pathology, which I thought was a, uh, a, a missed cause. And the missed opportunity, yeah. Is, so there was a comment that said, attempts to pass a nasogastric tube to alleviate the gastric distension were unsuccessful. Hmm. Oh, okay, so what do you think, Susan? Putting a nasal gastric tube into a, you know, rotated stomach and then sphincter. Well, you know, I. Go ahead, go I, ahead. I'm not sure that they. I'm not sure that they. Maybe at that point they didn't actually know or weren't ready to suspect that it was a GDD, right? They. they Again, it's uncommon. It's not the first thing that comes to the top of mind. And, you know, we do see cats with uh, pulmonary causes of acute respiratory distress mm-hmm. that do swallow air and they get big stomachs. So I've seen a lot of air-filled stomachs on radiographs of cats, and I have to tell you, GDD does not come to the top of my mind. But, but right? Maybe, it, maybe it will tube. now. Do you put a nasogastric tube in those cats? To no. So typically, air? yeah, typically I don't. I don't. So we try to treat the cause of the respiratory distress, right, hoping that if we can normalize respiration, that will sort itself out. So, so it and I, I think, 
Yeah, I, I think you're completely yeah. right there. And there's two reasons why I don't think it works. One, it is a very thin little tube that I don't yeah. think you even yeah. get it into the stomach because, you know, it's stores, yeah. so you can't get it in very easily. And then when you get it in, it probably is kinked or compressed, and so you don't yeah. care. In dogs, we use the biggest tube that we can get to get that stuff out. And it's often a combination right. of air and other stuff and, and, and content. So, you know, right. as a market, I used to use equine nasogastric tubes, which are the really big ones, and put them in the dog to get relief. So you really need something bigger than than, right. than just a nasogastric tube. And, but I don't think the cat will be very happy. Dogs are so stupid that they just allow you when oh, so to put that tube in. Well, you, the cat you, definitely will not. You know, about the, about the biggest you're going to get a nasogastric tube in a cat, it, it's going to be a three or five branch. And I think your point is really well taken. That's really not big enough to allow fluid to escape, right, or air to escape. So I, I suspect it's a bit a bit of a futile effort. Yeah, so uh, really cool. I, I think this is a wonderful article. And as a matter we're already at 30 minutes, so we can only do um, either we do a hot, you know, we have a new topic, which is hot cat news. And uh, yeah. so we, we, we both look at the Internet for the latest and the greatest cat news. So we only have time for uh, two little hot cat news uh, items, and then we have to switch off again. And then the next article will be our next podcast. So uh, what is your hot cat news? Too? And now, hot cat news. Okay, so, I, so this is just a quickie, and, it, and it's just like interesting and it's something you can wow your friends with at dinner. So it's, it's mm. not necessarily going to, you know, it's not going to change your life as a veterinarian, but it will make you look cool at dinner when you're talking about um, trivia. And so, um, yeah, and so that is, researchers at Queen's University in Belfast found cats have a paw preference. Cats can be right pawed or left pawed, which no is way. something I do not know. Yeah, yeah, just like we are right-handed or left-handed. Cats are right pod or left pod. Even more amazing, female cats are likely to be right pod, and male cats are likely to be left pod. How do you like that? That is crazy. Really? Yeah. So if a cat yeah, hits I, you, I, it's either yeah. it, you. So when a cat hits you, you can know if it's a male or a female yeah. just by the paw. Yeah, yeah. so I, I have two male cats and a female cat, Frank yeah. and Brian and Meredith, right? And so now I'm, I'm going to watch them quite closely and see yeah, if, it, test it if, out. if Meredith, I will, I will, I'm going to. I'm on vacation, right, so I can't do it, right? But when I get back, I'm going to look at Meredith very closely and see if indeed she is right pod and the two boys are left pod. I'll check it out and I'll let you know. That's really cool. So my uh, hot cat news is... Uh, I read an article in the National Geographic online uh, where they used fish skin bandages to help you. Did you hear about it? Yeah. So they used fish skin bandages to help heal bears, but not only bears, also uh, because then you would say, what does that have the hell to do with cats? But there was also (laughs) a five-month-old cougar from Las Padres National Forest that had the same problem. So uh, they treated that poor little cougar with uh, fish skin. And this is tilapia skin, 
It has been described yeah. in Latin America quite a lot uh, to use. It's also been used in humans sometimes. Um, yeah. They then use the, you know, it's radiation, it's radiated, uh, and, and it, it seems to help healing, which I think is really cool. In this case, they used fresh skin, which, and then they have yeah. some kind of method that they sterilize it with. That sounded all a little bit uh, uh, fishy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was that was my little joke there, uh, but uh, <laughs> and as a matter of fact, they don't smell like fish. But that's uh, that 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 was another lady that said that. But um, so it says that the cougar cup is doing well with the treatment, uh, and uh, the skin, the tilapia skin has certain collagen proteins that are, according to the article, essential for scar scarring. So I thought that was really cool because yeah. I have to give a webinar about wound healing. Uh, in a week, so I'm going to use this as an cool. example. Um, there's yeah. also some, I mean, there's more holistic parts of the, the article that are probably don't have a lot of science behind it, but I thought this was really cool. Mm -hmm. Yay! So, Susan, um, you know, we revamped this podcast every time, and now we had a great idea, which was to let our fans ask us questions. And yes! I, I put that, and I think it's awesome, I put that on our Instagram page. So we have a per podcast Instagram page. And if you go there, you can post your questions. And by posing a good question, you immediately become a per VIP, a very important person. And, and so what does that mean, though? It, what, what does it mean if you're a per VIP? That's an amazing achievement that you can reach in your life. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I think. Am I a per VIP already? Of, of course, because oh, you ask me questions all the time. You know, <laughs> drive me nuts with all those questions. Nuts. No. <laughs> good. Good. So, uh, so yeah, I guess we are per VIPs too. So, uh, but uh, the good news is that I posted that on our social media channels, and we immediately yeah. got a question. So. I am going to uh, look up the person right now who posed that question, and I should have that already, but I don't. So I'm going to cut this. It's all a out. veterinarian from. It's a vet from Rio de Janeiro. I remember that. Yes, it is Ana Escalera, and hopefully I yeah. will pronounce her uh, name well. And uh, yes, yeah, we're, we're sorry, Ana. Yeah, yeah. Apologies, apologies, apologies. Uh, but uh, Anna is a vet from uh, Rio de Janeiro, and uh, and that's yeah. really cool. And so thank you, Anna, for posing the first question. And her question is to you, Susan, because you oh. are probably the expert in this. Should I start checking SDMA for cats? And if so, at which age? Wow. <laughs> so that is really a good question for our first um listener questions um, because there isn't an, I'm not going to say there isn't an easy answer to that. So what I'm going to tell you is what I would recommend um, because I, I don't think we have any data published to tell us exactly the right age to start looking at that in cats. So, so here's what I would recommend. So just to remind everybody, SDMA is the metabolite that we look at in the blood uh, to give us earlier diagnosis of chronic kidney disease. So it is an estimate of glomerular filtration rate. Um, and it doesn't replace creatinine, but it has some benefits over creatinine in that it detects 
changes in GFR earlier than creatinine, uh, and it isn't affected by decreasing muscle mass, which is particularly important in cats. So in the last couple of years, um, uh, through mainly through IDEX, this uh, test has become um, available. So the question is, should you use it? And short answer to that is yes, you should use it um, as long as it comes from a reliable lab. Uh, number two, um, when should we start looking at it? So certainly if there's a patient that you suspect has chronic kidney disease, one of the things we want to look at is SDMA. But I think there's also a place in screening cats uh, for health conditions. So one of the things we don't do often enough is this proactive approach where we start doing, uh, let's say, annual blood work and urinalysis on cats in their middle years looking for early detection of disease. And, and I do a whole lecture on that, so I'm not going to give you a whole lecture now. So I think Please there's a benefit don't. to including SDMA. No, I won't. There's a benefit to including SDMA, I think, in your screening blood work, that sort of annual wellness type, annual preventive health care type of blood work, starting in the middle years. So for cats, I'd say starting at somewhere around seven, eight, nine years of age in there, even in healthy cats. Uh, so I'd include it in your screening blood work, and then I'd certainly include it in any cat that could have, has clinical signs that um, could be, or physical exam findings consistent with chronic kidney disease. So that's what I would recommend. Hopefully that helps answer the question. That's wonderful. And, and the interesting part is I forgot to tell you that we need to answer these questions succinctly, which means like <laughs> five minutes of, uh, of talking, Susan. But no, that's great. So just to summarize, so if you have cats that have clinical signs, yes, absolutely do it. Yeah. If you have cats yeah. that you do a routine blood work on, start which I recommend middle yeah. age, which you recommend, yeah. middle age, seven yeah. years plus. Uh, and then yeah. I would like to add here, any cats that has a history or maybe a, you know, a increased chance of getting renal disease. How about yeah. that? Good. Good thank answer. You. Thank you. Thank you. So, no, that wonderful answer. Thank you, Susan. Uh, I'm very happy with our first question. I'm so excited here. I'm just uh, sitting here smiling. So, hey. thank you, Anna, for uh, for this question. Yes, thank you, Anna. And, and hopefully, and you are our first per VIP uh, after Susan and myself, obviously. But uh, very, very happy to be to have you in the per VIP family. Yay! So, very good. Very so, cool. this, as a matter of fact, this is the end of our podcast. Uh, I thought we wanted to do two articles, but that uh, didn't work. So, because we are talking too much, but that's that's really cool. So, Susan, thank you so much uh, for this uh, this podcast. And thank you, Yola. And you should be thanking me even more so because I picked a surgery topic. I know, and I will never forget that. <laughs> GDC <laughs> That was a really cool yeah. topic. That's great. So great. thank you so much. And we'll okay. talk to you later. Yeah. See ya. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Hello, this is Dr. Yolokirfenstein. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Please note that all opinions given here are purely Dr. Susan's and my interpretation. Veterinary medicine is a beautiful but complicated profession as no animal or case is exactly the same. Well, there's one thing for sure. Yeah. Yola and I have strong opinions, and we're not afraid to say them. So that's a good thing, though, isn't it? 
that is a good thing. That is a good thing. So yeah, I, I I just want everybody to be sure that you know there's multiple ways to run, and so that's an old saying, which means that often the you know what you need to do and how you do it is not completely clear. So we are using either our experience or you know our clinical cases to sometimes drive, and sometimes we use real evidence-based and we normally say that. And sometimes we just use opinions of other experts that we trust too. And that's true. So, uh, okay, great. I think that is what everybody needs to hear. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks. The Cat Clinical Medicine and Management, and August's Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs. You can follow her on social media with the handle at CatVetSusan. Dr. Yola Kirpenstein is a diplomat of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently for Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVETSX.